I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. Welcome to the Agnology Podcast. Welcome back to the Ag Knowledge Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about some different environmental things, especially Arbor Day and Earth Day. And then we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the COVID impacts that agriculture has faced recently. But I think we're going to go ahead and start with Arbor Day because it was founded out of Nebraska and it was started in 1872, right Whitney? Correct. So Jay Sterling Morton, he was a Nebraska newspaper editor and from Nebraska City. He was really for civic groups and individually uh, advocated for planting trees. And so when he became the secretary of uh, the Nebraska Territory, he continued to spread that message. And the first date for the celebration of Arbor Day was April 10th. So Morton uh, first proposed a tree planting holiday, which he called Arbor Day at the meeting of the State Board of Agriculture back in 1872. During the first holiday um, was observed, more than one million trees were planted in Nebraska. And then two years later in 1874, Nebraska's governor, uh, Robert W. Furness, officially proclaimed Arbor Day as a legal state holiday. In Nebraska. Yeah, in Nebraska. So um, in 1885, it was celebrated on April 20th, but this year it will be celebrated on April 30th. Alrighty, so I just want to add a little bit more about Jay Morton, whose idea was to come up with the holiday. So actually, there's a statement on the website. So Morton was vocally anti-abolitionist, and it says he had deeply flawed beliefs regarding race and slavery. So we need to recognize that and address that issue, which they do very well in the piece that I have written in front of me. But I just want to read this paragraph really quick. It says, in the past, we have attributed the spirit of Arbor Day to Morton, but truthfully, it belongs to the Nebraskans who have embraced the tree planting tradition for generations and people around the world who know that a greener world is healthier, more beautiful, and more equitable. By shedding light and learning from past mistakes, we aim to build a legacy that is proactively reflective of our values and inclusive of all those who have contributed to the tree planting movement. So I think they did a great job of addressing that and recognizing the issue, but also um, using that to kind of reflect on the holiday and then being able to move past that in a healthy, positive, new way. So that was just what I wanted to add. And Nebraska is not the only state that observes the holiday. All 50 states celebrate Arbor Day. And it's just the observance on the last Friday in April. So that's like the best tree planting uh, weather, which is coincides with spring. Yeah, and it's getting like a little bit warmer, Mm -hmm. but uh, there's less likely a chance of snow, hopefully, by that time. When I went to elementary school at Laurel, we actually like on Arbor Day and Earth Day kind of like combined, we would go out and our class would plant a tree in like the, not really a park, but it, it walked up to the track for the high school. And so like every time we'd walk by, even like growing up, there's like a plaque out of it that says for, for the class of whatever. And so like everybody has a class tree, which is really cool. We uh, did something similar our senior year of high school in Sutton. Uh, the class 
the graduating class would take the day off and plant trees, do just like maintaining work um, around the city and like the city parks to just clean up the town for um, the upcoming graduation. And then Sutton also does give out trees or bushes, depending on what you want to pick from, for the celebration of Arbor Day. Cool. Usually, like, uh, my family has, like, signed up for, like, the Arbor Day Foundation. And so, like, they'll send you a tree that you can plant. And, and a so whole we'll big envelope that. of, like, pamphlets and stuff and yep. more about the yeah. holiday and all that good stuff. And, we, like, they send yeah. you, like, programs th- so that you could order other trees or, like, trees that grow well in your area mm-hmm. and everything. Yep. But I think it's, especially right now where you're seeing people, like, tearing out, like, tree groves and everything, that it's important that we're putting trees back into the environment. I also think the nice thing about Arbor Day is it's a really easy holiday to involve kids in because planting trees is really fun. It's an easy way to get kids involved in that and it's an easy way to begin teaching them about conservation, environmentalism, uh, just being more conscious of that. Yep, celebrating like for a greener tomorrow kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like, like I mentioned before with Arbor Day, we usually also celebrated Earth Day, like, at the same time. But I know we kind of celebrated that differently in school. Like, we would actually, like, sit in the classroom and talk about environmentally, um, environmental topics, I guess. But Earth Day is usually celebrated before, right? Before yes. Arbor Day. Yeah. And uh, Earth Day is more about the entire environment, not just, you know, trees for Arbor Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Earth Day started in the 1970s, and it was part of kind of that whole movement around it. There's a lot of people petitioning for that to happen since we were starting to see some effects of different climate change issues, that kind of thing. So it was an important holiday to come into place, and I think people have really benefited from that. I think really with the pandemic, you see a lot of people at home growing their own food. So, like, doing that in an environmental-friendly way just is going to help celebrate Earth Day. I don't want to say easier, but, like, more inclusive because we're at home already. Yeah. You could try, like, plant-based recipes since it's Lent right now. A lot of people don't eat meat on Fridays uh, to celebrate that Christian holiday. Also, like, Earth with Earth Day, the Earth Day, um, like, foundation, I guess you want to call it. Yeah. But they do a canopy project, which I think is really cool. It's where you can, like, donate a dollar and they'll plant one tree. Oh, okay. So, and they do this, like, around the world. It's not just in the United States, which I think is super cool. But I don't really know where, like, where they plant the trees. Okay. But, yeah, I think it's a really cool thing because, like, for every dollar you donate. So, like, if you donate donate $20, then you're giving them the opportunity to plant 20 trees somewhere. And you don't, like, say you live in a city where you don't necessarily have the room to plant a tree in your front yard or backyard. Yeah. This is a really cool opportunity for you to still have an impact on the environment. Also, with that, though, you kind of um, should definitely be looking into where those trees are being planted and if they're being taken care of after um, Earth Day. The Earth Day Foundation seems like a reputable source, but sometimes those other corporations or companies say that, and Lord knows if that's actually what's going on with that money. So I would definitely say be a little bit cautious of places that advertise like that and just really look into 
um, what they're doing with that and how it's maybe impacting the environment that they're um, working in just to be safe and make sure you're conscientious. Yes, exactly. So I, I was just looking while you were talking, but they do have a map that shows uh, where they plant the trees. So there's quite a few in um, like California into New Mexico and Arizona, Montana, Oklahoma, quite a few through Georgia and the eastern states. There's not many in the Great Plains, which um, I can understand trying to grow trees in the Midwest is pretty difficult. This is more of a grassland area yeah, naturally, so um, you're going to have difficulty with specific types of trees that definitely aren't native or need more care and attention. It's right. more of a grassland area. So if you want to gr- plant grass instead of trees, natural grasses, that's a good way to go about it as well. Yeah, um, especially if you're, there's a, like recently people have been planting their yards into natural grasslands, I guess you want to call it for like pollinators and other insects because, you know, as we're farming, we're not necessarily having all the uh, flowers that bees and other insects like. So it's great to have these spaces that, you know, insects are able to go to and pollinate and then also are able to increase their numbers because they have the food. Like some natural buffers. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we learned about, we might have talked about this also, but we learned in a conference that the Fens Forever organization does have a program to help farmers and rural people start growing these buffer strips mm-hmm. with like prairie grass, wildflowers, um, and et cetera, to help the um, bee population grow because we've had a problem with pollinators in this area. Yeah, well, in the winters here are in the Great Plains and then up north even more are really hard for pollinators because we get so cold and usually like there might be, you know, two weeks where we're 60 degrees or 70 where insects come out and then all of a sudden we're back down into the negatives and it's, you know, they freeze and some of them die. So it's, it's really cool that um, we're still able to like people bring in bee farms like during the summer and in the spring, I guess, where they can like pollinate their sunflower fields or their corn fields or anything like that. So on the topic of uh, environmental issues, uh, recently because of the pandemic, well, I guess not really recently, but UNL had released an article earlier in the pandemic that talked about how dairy farmers aren't being able to ship out their product because, you know, everything was shut down. And because of that, a lot of farmers were usually just like pouring the milk down their drains, which was a very big waste for that product. And so a lot of people found themselves using it as a fertilizer, which I never really thought about using milk like as a fertilizer. But uh, as it turns out, it's a pretty good fertilizer because it's an organic material. material. So when they apply it to the land, uh, it actually contains about 45 pounds of nitrogen, 18 pounds of phosphorus, and 15 pounds of potassium per thousand gallons. So when you go and, you know, when for perspective, let me start with that. It requires 3,000 gallons of milk per acre to provide about 135 pounds of nitrogen, 54 pounds of phosphorus, and 45 pounds of potassium, which when you're putting milk on fields going to corn instead of soybeans, it allows for better use of nutrients, which 
is a really good swap, I guess, for uh, farmers that maybe don't want to pay the extra money for phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium. And it's pretty much cheaper, really, because if you're buying bulk like that and then putting it on fields, you know, to determine the appropriate application rate, they recommend, you know, you getting a soil sample or multiple soil samples throughout your field. And there are several options, like, on UNL's website to, you know, determine all of that and all those factors. But, yeah, I never really thought about um, farmers using milk as a fertilizer, I guess. I didn't either. That's just crazy to think about, you know? And, like, having that much... Excess milk. Yeah. Well, and, like, having that much of, a like, an effect on nitrogen and phosphorus and stuff, which, you know, for corn, it uses quite a bit of nitrogen. Really, by applying milk, you can kind of balance that. Did it talk about anything about the application process? That would be so funny. I'm just imagining. Like, <laughs> I just imagine this guy with two gallons of milk in his hand and just like pouring it over. <laughs> See, I'm imagining milk. like one of those squirt bottles and just like <laughs> spritzing the soil. <laughs> well, so I would assume they would use like a nitrogen or not nitrogen. Sorry, a f- liquid fertilizer <laughs> tank. Yeah. Because a lot of people use those for chicken manure and hog manure from like the confinements because a lot of times they mix it down Mm -hmm. so i would assume they would use something like that because it applies it like pretty close to the soil too but and that's more even of a spread as well yeah what about the viscosity of it milk is thicker than most uh fertilizers that you apply i would assume they can water it down though okay yeah i guess and i mean it is a liquid still yeah i mean most fertilizers aren't really that thin to begin with so if anything, I would worry about it like coming out too fast. Mm. Okay, but <laughs> it the this article from the UNL Extension says that milk can produce a very strong odor when it's decomposing. So <laughs> uh, usually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like so like to be nice to your neighbors, like apply it in fields where there's not neighbors close. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's really fortunate that they were able to find a use for this milk that wasn't just wasting it. I definitely think that goes back to like the creative problem solving that we see a lot in the farming and ag community. Like there's there's always a use for something. We just need to figure out what it is. Yeah. Well, and especially when there's already like so much food waste, mm-hmm. which I know like people used to feed milk to um, like pigs or like mixing it with their corn feed and stuff because it was an easy way to get rid of it or not. Sorry, not just milk, but like the skim milk. Yeah. That they strain off of the whole milk mm-hmm. because it was a good way to fatten your hog and it was a good way to make make it so they didn't choke on the feed mm-hmm. because um, pigs can very easily choke on dry feed. But yeah, that's very interesting to learn. Since you're talking about food waste, Agnes, I have a little little statistic about food waste for you. <laughs> um, so more than a third of food globally produced never makes it to the table. And then food loss and waste account for 8.2% of the total human-made greenhouse gas emissions. And that's from EarthDay.org. So wow. just something to think about. Maybe don't, you know, try not to buy an ex- excess, buy what you need, um, Save what you can, be conscious about it, maybe compost or feed to animals the scraps that you have left over. Just be aware of how much you're using and how much you're wasting. Well, even just like having a night of leftovers so that you're not wasting the food. Yeah. And like composting, like you said, it's a really good option because then you're, you know, making a fertilizer that you can put in your gardens. Um, 
we don't really do a lot of composting. Like, usually we'll, like, if it's meat or something, like, it's, you know, a couple days old or whatever, we'll give it to our cats. Yeah. Their farm cats that eat anything, but... They've had worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, our cats will usually go out and catch snakes. So, I'm like, you can have some hamburger instead of going out and eating a snake. But, yeah. And to your point about um, environmental issues... Um, the Graphic. National Geographic um, put out an article titled Why COVID-19 Will End Up Harming the Environment. And it just really says that while all the countries were in like a hard lockdown, our a greenhouse emissions and like all emissions were down because people weren't using their cars or flying or public transportation. That was a really big, like, social media thing was showing the pictures of, like, right after COVID. It was very clear. The, mm-hmm. You could see yep. the sky. It was very clear. And that was kind of scary compared to the stuff we saw earlier when there was so many, like, fires in California. The sky was red. It was really foggy. Or smoggy, not foggy, mm-hmm. I guess. And then immediately after COVID and the lockdown started, it was clear as anything. Yeah, and so the professionals at the article sites just really explained that during the lockdown, all the emissions levels were down, and then as countries are opening back up almost to full capacity and everything, the emissions are back up to their normal levels, but some are surpassing pre-COVID levels, and just trying to play, like, catch-up with, because all the factories were not producing textiles and such. So it was just really alarming to see how much the levels have risen post, like, hard lockdown of COVID. Yeah, and I think if there's one thing that COVID has proved, it's that we can change how we do things. Because, like, yeah, a lot of people were out of jobs and still are out of jobs. And a lot of those factories and stuff were, you know, shut down. But it also kind of showed that, like, if we really wanted to make a change in our climate and make a change in just our environment um, Impact, at yeah. home, mm-hmm. we can. Because especially when you saw all of these people like building gardens and growing food and stuff, I think a lot of people learned that it's not as hard as some people make it to be. And of course, it's still difficult because like I've tried to grow like carrots or whatever. And it's like, well, I guess I grew weeds. But like <laughs> it showed that a lot of people can do something. And especially like we made fun of uh, Sean, like rooftop gardening and container gardening and stuff like that. You can do a simple like plant one tomato plant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you have fresh produce and you're helping the environment because you're not going to a store and buying something and then wasting it. Exactly. You're being conscientious of the amount you're buying and then consuming. Yeah. Because if you have fresh produce from your garden, say tomatoes, carrots, lettuce, beets, other greens, you're going to be eating that and it's healthier for you and it's better for the environment. And like the stuff that you don't eat, you can use for compost and put it back in the garden to make sure your soil quality is good so you're not using excess fertilizers or having to put extra nutrients into the soil. Yeah. And then also you can use, like, natural pesticides instead of the commercial ones. Well, and I think there's one thing, like, the one thing that we also saw was that, well, going into, like, the COVID impacts on agriculture, we saw a lot of Um, like processing plants take a huge hit Mm -hmm. just because you have 
you know, what, over 100 workers in one floor and one person gets COVID. It's well, a now, confined yeah, space, so it's going to yeah. spread pretty rapidly. Yeah, yep. now the neighbors have it, and then those neighbors get it. Like, it, it goes crazy in that environment. And, like, we saw in our small towns, I know Whitney's mentioned it too, like, our small town meat lockers are, like, booked until next year still. I think the one that we do some processing with is booked out a year and a half already. And that's crazy. Because there's me. a lot of people worried that there's going to be a meat shortage then after that. Yeah. because Which yeah. is why they were all, like, calling in a panic. Am I going to uh-huh. have meat? Am I going to have meat? So we just had a hog process, and we did it, I think we called it a year and a half ago to get our appointment done. Yeah. And then, like, my family, we just butchered six cattle for all the aunts and uncles and grandchildren. So that's really helped us supply ourselves is be able to uh, butcher our own cattle. And we do chickens also. We'll be doing that this spring. So just being able to sustain yourself. There it which is. is really important and a lot of people aren't able to do that but you can uh, like there's a lot of small farms that sell like their meat product because you know it's it's a extra income for them and you know homegrown beef is great in my opinion it's delicious <laughs> it is the best you know what was going into it and you know what you're eating yeah and there's nothing better than you know having a fresh ribeye oh fresh <laughs> t-bone steak mm. i would say the same with like chicken because we don't we do our own chicken stuff so just like eating chicken at my house and then like having a chicken salad at school it's like yeah this is definitely <laughs> not the same <laughs> not as appetizing <laughs> Well, I know, like, this summer, we, uh, my aunt, or my cousin, he actually had just barely got into the window for um, butchering one of his steers, and they sold us, I think we only got, like, a quarter, but it, it lasted our family for several months, because, you know, I don't know how much um, weight is in a quarter i would have to look that up it would depend on the yeah it would the cattle yeah it would have to yeah. depend on the hanging weight but mm-hmm. like that beef was great man and now we're out and i'm like oh tragic i know but anyway these little uh these no, i get i don't want to say little but these small town food lockers are doing great because of it uh-huh. but that also means they're overwhelmed yeah uh i just looked it up on the internet and it's about 200 pounds of hanging weight and it ends up being like 150 after processing so yeah and it's you're only four people yeah so. well and like for most of it um me and my brother were gone so it was yep. just two mm-hmm. and then every once in a while four yeah it, it's lasted us quite a bit because i mean our our family usually only eats red meat we my dad doesn't really care for chicken or turkey and my mom doesn't really care for pork so we could just like beef it is <laughs> My family's so well versed. We hunt for conservation, so we have like javelina and deer. We hunt turkey. I love pork. Uh, good smoked pork loin. My mom, shout out to her. She does the best. <laughs> but yeah, like beef. I don't know what else. We've eaten elk and moose. We don't really eat. We don't eat fish. We're not a fish. Yeah, people. we don't. We, well, I take that back. I'm usually the only one that doesn't eat fish. Um, I just, I don't know, something about aquatic animals. <laughs> it's just not like, for me. Uh, yeah. But, um, like, every once in a while, like, they'll have fish and I'll have something else, like a sandwich, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll eat the fish. It depends how I feel that day, I guess. 
but you know mostly we stick to red meat which is okay yeah i talked to uh dr shauna hearn earlier uh and i told him like i love to fish i hate eating fish he's like that is the weirdest statement i've ever heard i'm like <laughs> welcome to roll nebraska <laughs> fish is good you're missing out no i i've tried it up in canada and it wasn't good it's you just, know i i've had um I don't remember where I had it, but I had this terrific uh, fried fish. And if I could ever find the recipe for it, I would 100% eat fish at least once a week. Well, I guess I like shrimp. So, like, when we have shrimp or whatever, but... Uh, shrimp's a hard no. <laughs> shrimp <laughs> is delicious. But, anyways, um, that also, I think that kind of relates to the fact that we are in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of the, especially imported fish we have from the coast may not be super fresh and enticing like it would be if you're having crab in maryland your crab experience in nebraska is going to (laughs) be drastically different right um and that's the same for like steaks there where we have a lot of small walkers around here there it's going to be more difficult to try and find as fresh of meat as you're going to get here so again your experience with that is going to be different definitely well and like most of the fish around here that you're going to find like in a like a small restaurant it's going to be fresh water because that's the freshest fish you're going to find around Uh here Mm -hmm. which i can't i don't really have an opinion on salt water versus freshwater fish because again i don't really eat much fish but it's going to be a lot of trout and northern pike around up here in northeastern nebraska yeah north northeast nebraska yeah (laughs) (laughs) wherever we are right now (laughs) wherever wayne's located one of those directions i know it (laughs) But back on top of uh, (laughs) the COVID effects, a lot of, well, I guess recently the USDA and the COVID relief package that was released, the agriculture provisions from the American Rescue Plan Act um, would be $10.4 billion for programs designed to strengthen the agriculture and food supply chain, sorry, (laughs) which means like a lot of the processing plants, truckers, even some... I would assume farms, like the big, uh, like corporate farms. Corporate farms. Yes. Thank you. Wow. You know, some is going to go out to the food stamps and stuff. Yes. Yep. And quite a bit of it is going to go to um, like inspection costs because all the meat has to be inspected. Education support for farmers and stuff like that. So it's going to be split up quite a bit into a bunch of different sections but overall it should help quite a few farmers i would also um i'm looking at a chart right now so the net income like that was estimated prior to covid was about 220 billion higher than it is you know without covid without the relief packages so obviously that's a big hit to the industry but um then again it is what it is and we have to try and help those people as much as possible. Um, The government can get out and support it since it's a big part of the exports we have here in America. So again, like you were saying, Agnes, just making sure those programs are accessible, people are getting the assistance they need with that is super important during this time. Yeah. Well, and Ag Daily recently uh, submitted an article 
that the Agriculture Secretary, Tom Vilsack, announced that the USDA was establishing new programs and efforts to bring financial assistance to agriculturalists, whether that be farmers, ranchers, or other producers uh, who felt the impact of the COVID market disrupt. So basically, a lot of farmers lost money on their corn or their soybeans or anything like that because a lot of the processing plants, again, were shut down. So they were, you know, losing a lot of money on their crops or, you know, beef, whatever it might be. But they're dedicating at least $6 billion toward the new programs. Good. I would also say it's worth mentioning, um, this is from the USDA, it's worth mentioning that... Um, that it was already a tough time for the farm industry before COVID hit. We yes. were kind of in a slump and then that just made it, you know, 10 times worse. So difficult to say how that would have been with and without COVID, but. Right. And I think it's, I think it would be nearly impossible right now to try and like figure markets out of where it would be without it. Yeah. Because again, everybody was hit by COVID, not just the United States. So trying to determine like trade rates and everything like that, I think it would be nearly impossible. Yeah. But uh, like you said, we farmers were already in a pretty rough spot because markets were down. I think maybe the only thing up was um, beef prices. And then I know now recently goat and lamb prices have almost doubled, which is crazy and great for my industry, <laughs> but uh, not so great for, you know, other people. The ag industry was getting flack even before COVID hit. And then once lockdown like happened, we saw that people were like, we can't live without agriculture. Which you couldn't before. Yeah. But it really nailed it in. (laughs) It's like hitting the nail on the head. Like, of course, you can't live with agriculture. It's the basis of the United States and the world. Again, though, people don't think about that. They take it for granted. They Mm -hmm. don't think about it. They just say, I'm going to go to the grocery store for food. They don't think of, oh, where did the food come from? It's just so ingrained into every day that when that system is disrupted, then it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's just. Yeah. Well, and also, I don't think people people realize how like the journey that it takes from going to farm to your plate, Mm -hmm. because there's so many steps in there. And like I've. Like at Northeast, I know in our classes, we learned basically every dollar something costs, basically only 10 cents goes to the farmer. And usually it's even less than that after taxes. And then after, you know, the cost of making that product. So it's a little frustrating in there (laughs) when uh, people aren't being appreciated. And then um, it was great that people were like growing vegetables in my container garden isn't necessarily as easy as I thought Mm -hmm. but yeah but it's a good learning experience (laughs) yes learn from your mistakes be better do better hey guys I'm gonna pause the podcast real quick um this is going to be a trigger warning coming up in the podcast there will be mentions of farm accidents and mental health, and uh, there will be mention of suicide. So if those things make you uncomfortable, please just be aware they are coming up. So I'm going to go ahead and continue with the podcast. Thanks, guys. But like the Ag Daily had another article that's called Farmers Down, the Sacrifice That Comes With Your Food, because the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics 
um, farming is in the top 10 most dangerous jobs because, again, like in 2018 alone, there was over 574 fatalities of just farmers and agriculture workers. And that doesn't include farmer suicides, which are three times higher than the national average. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad and to it's, think about. it's increased so much during the pandemic. Yeah, and especially when, when we saw those markets drop the way mm-hmm. they did it was a really bad time. And then now you have natural disasters on top of that, like with the California fires, the flooding, tornadoes, wind even, everything like that. And again, you can't really, like you have to take those statistics with um, a grain of salt because it's really hard to get a number on suicides in farmers. Yes. Um, Especially uh, mental health wise, it's really hard to get numbers for that because uh, we'll be talking Actually, in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about um, mental health and farmers and agriculturalists. But it's very easy for something to go wrong on a farm. Like I just read an article to Claire today. Um, somebody in Iowa got uh, stuck in a corn bin. Luckily, they were safe. Like they got them out before anything bad happened. But it's still like accidents happen. And it's so dangerous, especially when... Um, People just don't really think about taking safety precautions, especially as you get older or as you do something more often or more frequently. Sometimes people take shortcuts and those shortcuts usually end up in something bad happening. And then again, with really high stress instances like we're talking about, that takes a toll on your mental health. And then that also turns into maybe relaxing your safety issues because you're worried you have a job to do you have other things that you're worried about besides your safety and then again that could also mean that maybe some accidents are on purpose or planned and you really don't know so that's why it's important to you know check in with people make sure they're doing okay just reach out sometimes people just need to talk about stuff get things off their chest be reassured a little bit so i think it's really important to do that and kind of look out for each other and be the close community yeah And if anyone does need help, there's a National Suicide Prevention Hotline. If you call 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. If you just need to talk to a skilled counselor in your area, it's open 24-7. It's free, confidential. If you don't want to call in, there's a lifeline chat. You can talk with a counselor. Yeah. Definitely uh, check that out, especially right now when times are not the easiest. Uh, Luckily, you know, we're kind of coming out of that. We're starting to go back up with spring coming on, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Another Um, place you can talk to that's a little bit more agriculturally oriented they might know where you're coming from a little bit more is the nebraska rural response hotline it's 1-800-464-0258 um it's from the farm crisis response council so that's another good resource to call if you're having some mental stress need to talk it out need to talk to somebody about you know certain thoughts that's a also a good resource to look out for yeah definitely but you know going back to uh safety precautions that you should um, be aware of or take Um, like if you're extremely tired one day maybe it's best not to um, you know maybe just take it slower and realize what you're doing before you do it because I know freak accidents happen but (laughs) because like at the welding shop my dad works at he's a welder but his co-worker just didn't think and he probably is going to lose the top of his index finger just because, you know, a simple mistake it and 
just when you're not thinking of something all the way through bad stuff happens your mind preoccupied on something else and you're not paying attention to something that you do every day like you know your job welding uh, Mm -hmm. or just feeding the cattle driving a tractor you know simple things that you do on a day-to-day basis could result in an injury or take someone's life I would also point out this kind of steering it back to COVID, but I would also point out that this kind of shows us the importance of wearing masks and Mm -hmm. respiratory issues. Wearing a mask when you're doing things that can get in your lungs, you want to use the correct respirators. um, Yeah, get pollutants, whatever. But especially like you're definitely right wearing a mask uh, because like I know when I was um, helping my dad unload corn before and I was not wearing a mask. Not the smartest move on my part. Definitely not the smartest move on my part, especially like I'll have um, some type of allergies to it, like coughing and stuff. But if I was wearing a mask, probably would have eliminated half my problem. Even if you're just in a place where a lot of dust is being kicked up, Mm -hmm. that's another good place because that's something you don't necessarily think about. But that can take a really big toll on your respiratory system. Definitely Definitely. if you're cleaning out like a silo or a grain bin. Yeah. That's something you should really wear a respirator doing well and especially like during the dry seasons here Mm -hmm. when those gravel roads are nothing but dirt and you know whatever you're doing or if you're out in the field and you're doing whatever just wearing a mask to protect your lungs and you know prevents you from getting really sick (laughs) probably smart and then you look cool too the added (laughs) the added cool factor you get from it is also a benefit (laughs) and then if you are doing these prevention measures you're not you're less likely to be sick, which then would have taken out more time to do your work. And then you're behind, which adds adds stress and just accumulates and snowballs. Yeah, that causes a lot of extra anxiety and stress on farmers, especially, you know, if you're out and sick for a couple days and you don't feel like doing anything, but you're like, I have to go outside and do chores. Mm -hmm. But... Because especially on really small operations, who's going to cover for you? Yeah, exactly. You have no backup plan. You have no coworker you can call. It is just you doing that job. You don't have job. hired farm hands in rural Nebraska, really, with a small operation. N- well, yeah, usually if you have a small operation, usually you're considered a hobby farm because you have... Um, you don't work on the farm, or that's like your part-time job, and then you have a different full-time paying job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just eliminating some of your stresses by just wearing PPE or, you know, personal protection equipment is just, it's worthwhile, (laughs) especially if it's wet outside. Maybe wear some good boots that have some traction on the bottom instead of, like, I have rubber sole boots that do not have traction at all, and I, you know, wear them outside in winter and then wonder why I slip around a lot. Yeah, just being aware of your surroundings also is a great thing. Uh, Going back to the COVID impacts on agriculture, the Economic Research Service of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the food price inflation rate is expected to uh, decrease, which is really great, especially when prices kind of skyrocketed there for a minute uh, during 2020. That's something to look forward to, I guess, Um, especially with uh, supply and demand. Uh, people are going to start going back and eating in restaurants and going out and eating and stuff because during the pandemic, a lot of people um, started to cook at home and eat at home, which I think that was actually a record since 2018. Like, I think the more people have ate at home this year than in 2018. So 
Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's really, I mean, I think a lot more people will hopefully stay eating at home because, which, I mean, that wouldn't do so good for restaurants and stuff, but kind of build up the family atmosphere again because I know a lot of people are usually a go, go, go kind of family now. And sitting down and just having one meal with your family can do a lot. I think there's studies on that that show that's really good for kids to have Mm -hmm. a sit-down, like, bonding time with family instead of just going by and picking up fast food all the time. Yeah. Well, there's also health benefits. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, again, like, keeps you conscious of what you're eating, how you're preparing it, that kind of thing. Whereas if you're just swinging by Mickey D's every night, it's probably not going to be as... (laughs) Healthy. As thoughtful of consumption <laughs> as it could be. We'll say that. All right. And I just found out it's another kind of celebration month. So it's Keep America Beautiful Month in, yeah, in April. So um, Keep America Beautiful is all about stopping littering, picking up trash when you see it. Um, so they do a lot of, like, highway cleaning events. And um, they have, if you have, like, a trash receptacle dump site in your town there's probably a keep america beautiful sign there just it's just a campaign to kind of reduce litter reduce kind of street trash and keep our streets clean so that's another thing to think about don't throw your trash out your window when you're driving make sure you save it and throw it in a trash receptacle make sure you look into different recycling programs because that's also a beneficial thing because we want we want everything to be pretty and nice and that is stuff is not good for the environment because it's a pollutant it's dangerous for animals it's yeah yucky doesn't look nice so i was gonna say i know a lot of times like when there's garbage in the ditches and everything it's it usually lands up in our hay field and then when my dad goes and cuts or whatever like there'll be chunks of aluminum cans which is not great to feed to animals um, especially our goats, which uh, if it gets caught, if it's small enough pieces and it's in the hay, they'll accidentally eat some. Yeah. And that can do some damage. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like a knife, basically, but usually they avoid it or usually will like find it before it gets in the hay rack. But just being conscious of like not throwing stuff out your window because it You can just put it on the floor and then when you get to your house take it in and put it in the garbage yeah it is not that difficult and i don't understand the need to they make garbage cans for your cars now and just hook it up to your headrest yeah yeah it's not that hard people (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's It's not not. that hard to be a non-litterer well and like you're going into your house anyway or if you go and get gas, usually there's... Yeah, I was going to uh-huh. say, even there's at a gas, gas station, there's a trash can right next to the pump. You yeah. don't even have to go inside the building. It's <laughs> yeah. literally right there. It's like they knew you were going to throw away trash <laughs> when you stopped to pump gas. But that's another thing, because that kind of coincides with Earth Day and Arbor Day keeping the environment nice. So I wanted to put in that little blip for you. This week is also Stand Up for Grain Safety Week. Ooh. So March 29th through April 20th. Um, it, it's, an or, it's organized by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, the United States Department of Labor, the National Grain and Feed Association, also the Alliance with Grain Elevator and Processing Society, 
Um, oh, I guess as well as the Grain Handling Safety Council. <laughs> so um, that's like for like harvesting or for grain bins and stuff? For grain bins. So the organizers just want to show that Nebraska's like corn, soybean, wheat, sorghum industries um, just to remind the farmers and agricultural workers to be safe in and around their grain bins during the, the safety week. It's also a week to show them preventative measures, like, you know, inspection holes. Well, which, I know they probably, um, they probably do a lot of, not necessarily advertising, but awareness for, like, the harnesses that you can wear into grain bins and mm-hmm. the... Well, I don't remember what they're called, but they're basically boards that you lay across the corn that you can walk on. Bridges, yeah. Bridges, thank yep, you. Yep, and it's just uh, this article uh, at 1011 News just says that farmers and workers should use a pole from the outside of the bin to break up the grain bridges um, so that when you walk across them, you're not stepping on your produce and then, like, accidentally slipping. Also, to wear the harness, like we've talked about earlier in this episode and other episodes. Um, and then, like, have two or three people watch over you. Also, use hand signals to communicate because sometimes it is hard to hear people when you're in the bin. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely wearing, um, like... Some type of ear protection because a lot of times it's really noisy in there, especially if there's like a high wind outside, you know, wearing goggles or a mask, especially when the corn is dry or anything like that, because it can get very dusty really quick, especially if the corn has been moved recently. And then just being smart, like wearing the harness, wearing clothing that fits you properly and stuff like that. Isn't super loose, but also isn't super tight. Right. Yep, definitely. And if you want to learn more about Stand Up for Grain Safety, you can follow the numerous uh, associations I named off earlier on like their social media channels or visit standupforgrainsafety.org if you're interested in learning about anything else. Cool. So I did just want to mention like for... Something that will affect the ag industry, I guess. So there's a new, it's called the Haulers of Agriculture and Livestock Safety or Halls Act. It would help accommodate the seasonal spike in transportation of food, fiber, and other agriculture supplies by modernizing the agriculture extension hours and service rules. Interesting. So some of the people that like introduced it are like Deb Fisher, John Tester, Roger Wicker, and Tina Smith, this legislation would eliminate the requirement that ag and livestock hours exemption only apply during state designated planting and harvesting seasons. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, so it would be, it, it would just make it easier for truckers, basically. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, authorizing a 150 air mile exemption from HOS, which is hours of work service, or sorry, hours of service requirements in the destination side of hauling for ag and livestock haulers so again for truckers and then it amends and clarifies the definition of agriculture commodities based on the feedback provided by agriculture and livestock organizations so i think it's really neat that they actually involved other ag industries oh yeah to help them you know define agriculture commodities because i know a lot of times like even if they do get some agriculture feedback in there they don't necessarily listen to it so i'm really Mm -hmm. glad this one listens to it but this one they really came up with this because after um you know the one year of covid it disrupted all the trucking and everything like that because hours were being cut people were being cut off by work and so this would just help 
alleviate some of the tensions that go through like during specific seasons like Mm -hmm. planting and harvesting Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really great piece of legislation i think so is it passed through yet or are they still debating it um so it should be coming up um like the this article is from march 18th oh okay so really recent yeah so it'll be debated on the floor soon or is it going to be voted on they they'll have to present it first yeah if they haven't presented it yet they'll present it debate on it and then they'll vote later probably yeah Yeah, it would just increase the rules usefulness for agriculture haulers um like it it allows different hour times because i don't know what the hours were before but this says uh, it would allow for 11 hours of drive time, 14 hours of on-duty time, so, like, they could have an hour break every once in a while. And then it would also require 10 consecutive hours of rest, mm-hmm. which okay. is great because then you're, you know, you're not having truckers that go 24 hours driving across the country. That, it, that would be insane. Which I happens. could never. I know, which is, that's crazy to me. <laughs> Well, I mean, and it makes sense because, like, this article says, like, livestock haulers can't afford to, like, just let their trucks idle, especially in the summer months if they're hauling pigs and stuff. Those guys are hot Yeah, pigs can't regulate their temperatures so, or very well anyway, Uh, especially in the heat. They need, like, a mud wallow because they can't sweat. Yep. So, like, allowing those truckers to get to their destination when they need to asap and do it in one straight thing because if you if you stop a bunch those animals are going to suffer for that right well especially like there's not many shaded areas along the highways oh no especially through the mid through the midwest through this area it's all grass it's all open well, even like truck stops that like are designed for truckers to stop and rest they don't have shade well if and if they do it's not enough yeah and i mean especially in you know dead of summer the heat won't or the sorry the shade won't help anyway exactly yep but yeah this would really help with animal welfare and everything like that too so and it would you know alleviate a lot of animal stress I think it would be really helpful, um, especially if they can get this through. Well, on the topic of environmental issues, March 28th, 1011 News came out with an article saying that the Nebraska National Forest plans to prescribe burn in April. So their dates are like April 5th to May 8th. um, And they're hoping to plan to burn up to 10,000 acres of grassland in the Beezy Ranger District. Um, so, like, the smoke from the burns could affect Thedford, Dunning, Stapleton, Burnham, Highway 2, and 83, like, up to a week after they start ignition. And then, like, other areas around the Middle Loop and Dismal Rivers. So, we were talking about earlier, um, planting trees is helping an environment with cleaning it out, but also prescribed burns help the environment with one getting rid of pests and invasive species and then uh, all the nutrients from the the grasslands will go back into the soil it's gonna improve your soil quality yep it's a very natural thing that happens and now we kind of do it man-madely i don't know how (laughs) to say what i'm trying to say but (laughs) well we're control burning which um is better than having a wildfire that you cannot stop Mm -hmm. um Although prescribed burns can get out of control really quickly, especially if winds pick up or if, you know, something just goes haywire. And um, But then again, if you have a permit uh, for it, then the 
fire marshal, the fire mm-hmm. station is going to be aware that you're doing it. So they're going to be kind they're of stand by. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're ready for it if something were to happen in that case, which is really good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But, uh, especially if grass is really dry and the winds, the winds are, the winds are blowing, <laughs> winds are blowing. It can really pick up and get to where it wants to go really fast. Mm-hmm. It says they cut down 3,000 acres of eastern red cedar trees um, so that they can burn it, and it'll help prevent cedar encroachment. Which, cedar trees around here, um, especially uh, in the hillier areas, I would say, where it's like more pasture, mm-hmm. are a weed. I yep. want to make that clear. Um, a weed is a plant where you don't want it, and cedar trees can take over very easily. Um, because birds will eat the berries and the berries, um, carry seeds and then will plant themselves everywhere. They end up everywhere and they grow fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get rid of them is by basically burning them. Because if you cut them off, a lot of times they'll just come back up. Mm -hmm. Plants be like that. (laughs) Especially cedar trees. (laughs) And after you burn a grassland, it will, um, it's going to help our pollinators really. Well, it helps, it helps um, the seeds that are still in the soil because, like, seeds can last a long time in the soil and it allows those to grow again, mm-hmm. or not again, but grow, and allows weeds to be suppressed. Although it might not look like that at first, but it does really help control, you know, like you said, um, invasive species and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Also, the heat from the fires um, can open pods, uh, and then the seeds will disperse. So we were talking a little bit before about how, like, COVID has affected prices through agriculture. And let's see, there was an article from January 20th about how prices for um, ethanol dropped 23%. So that was a pretty big hit, especially for the ethanol producers, because I mean, they were relying heavily on that when ethanol right now, we use a lot for gasoline. And so when people weren't traveling, there wasn't a demand for ethanol, but they're hoping for, they're hoping for the prices to bounce back, which I think they will because like, you know, everybody's coming out of quarantine and everybody's traveling again. So hopefully that'll bounce back for them. And so on that topic, uh, Nebraska's ag land values increased for the second year. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln had a farm real estate market survey done. And according to that survey, the value of agricultural land in Nebraska has increased an average of 6% over the last year and a statewide average of $2,895 per acre. The professionals that were in the survey said the farm real estate values interest rate levels are increasing because of crop prices, um, COVID-19 assistant payments that have provided like operators across the state with emergency funds, also like the shutdown of the economy and distribution of supply chains. Yeah, like with that... There's an article from Ag Update, and it talks about how, like, the beef and pork prices have not really, I I guess they have dropped, and finally beef is, like, coming back up. But because exports were, or excuse me, because exports were low in the beginning this year, like, beef prices were down 2%, and the values keep dropping, and now it's, I think, at 3%. But we're really needing, like, agriculture is a really big commodity that we trade, right? It's basically 
the biggest things that we really trade with a lot of different countries with. And when we're not able to trade all of that, it's just sitting there and not being used. So that's a lot of food waste like we talked before. And then also like pork, uh, pork exports were down 9% and now they're, you know, all the way down to 13%. Yeah, it, especially with like we weren't on great trade terms with China, but like because of COVID, it just keeps getting cut down. And the prices of beef and pork decreasing and then increasing again also affects the land values that uh, our food is grown on. So like pivot irrigated cropland has rose 8% across Nebraska, while dry land only rose 6%. And then like grazing land and like hayland market values are up like 3 to 5% from last year well uh like same with like the meat prices or back to the meat prices like saw in the united states that like prices actually kind of rose during covid because we were you know kind of experiencing a shortage just because like we couldn't get it through the processing plants right well now that everybody is kind of like settled down a little bit you're seeing the prices kind of drop again and farmers are having to make that money up somewhere so usually it's through rent or through other what do you want to call them? avenues avenues yeah, yeah. So something else that's like been going on is uh, the Senate. There's a Senate bill that calls for half of the slaughter cattle to be sold on a cash market. Basically, this would make large meat packers buy half of their cattle for slaughter each week on the open market filed by like a bill filed by nine senators. And the second bill this month aims for a better transparency in the cattle prices. So roughly three of every four head of slaughter cattle are sold under contracts or through price formulas that reward producers who meet a certain criteria set by packers. And according to this article on success farming, four companies account for about 80% of U.S. cattle slaughter. So an Iowa senator, Chuck Grassley, sponsors this, it's called the 5014 bill, because he says that producers need a robust cash market to make sure they're getting a fair price. So I don't really know, I I can see uh, where it would really help producers, I guess, because a lot of people do sell on the cash market, like the smaller farmers, if you will. But And the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is the largest U.S. cattle group, said the bill simply misses the mark and that it says the first step should be voluntary approach, asking packers to buy a specific number of cattle each week. Um, and then like through negotiated trade, which uh, with the threat of mandatory disclosure of the system fails. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, round this podcast up. Thanks for listening. Um, Our next podcast will not be next week, but the following week. So it should be on April 15th. That week, we are going to have a professor from uh, Wayne State here. Her name's Dr. Lindsay Doctorman, and she is an assistant professor of economics um, she, she has a PhD in agriculture and resource economics. Some of her research interests focus on agriculture and resource economic issues, primarily water quality issues. So be sure to join in, uh, that week because we will be hitting a lot of different topics, uh, about agriculture business and, uh, the ag business degree on campus, and then also probably some of the water quality issues. So thanks for listening. So again, if you need help, the numbers to reach out to are 1-800-273-8255 for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and then 1-800-464-0258 for the Nebraska Rural Response Helpline.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzals, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge and listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on thecat.wsc.edu. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Solo Acoustic Guitar by Jason Shaw, found on Free Music Archive on freemusicarchive.org. The song was edited for the purpose of this podcast.